Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone. With me today again is Stephen Feldman. We're here to bring you another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ed. How are you doing? I'm doing really well because this week we actually launched the podcast to the live audience and we've had a, a very positive feedback. So it's now out there. People can start subscribing and join the podcast and please send us any feedback that you have and anything like that. And thank you to everyone for sharing it with others, retweeting it, mentioning it. It's, it's, it's great. I'm excited to see so many people coming on the journey with us. Yeah, it's so. been really, the reception's been really surprising. You know, I, my first thoughts were, who's going to listen to us two guys wittering on about Geo? But actually, the feedback we've got so far has been really great. So thanks, everybody who's listening to us and spread the word. What else yeah. have you been up to, Ed? Well, I went on a bit of holiday. We went to the Azores, which was, I can highly recommend, really great, especially at this time of year, because it wasn't particularly crowded. And uh, we had, you know, one perverse effect of living in Barcelona is that we always have sun here in Barcelona. So I actually enjoyed going to kind of a rainy, windy place. And we did a lot of hiking and stuff. And while we were there, we did have one map-relevant incident in that we were in one of, the, one of the parks. We were on the island of San Miguel. And in a big park there, they have a kind of live scale model of the whole island um, as a map. So that was kind of cool. And I took some pictures and I'm going to send them to you so you can share them on, on Mapri. On Mapri. So we've both been on holiday because whilst Britain was being battered by storm after storm and rain and flood, Donna and I popped off to Marrakesh for a week and I relived my youth because I was there nearly 50 years ago and it hasn't changed that much. And that was great. We had temperatures in the mid-20s and we also had a mappy moment. We walked into a gallery and they had an enormous projected display of something called the Tabula Rogeriana, that Roger's map in English, which is a 12th century map by an Egyptian map maker called Idrisi. And it's one of the earliest world maps that is still in existence. There's obviously earlier ones, but we don't actually have copies of them. And it's how, how accurate is it? I mean, what, what did they claim to be the world? Well, if you go on my website on mapri.org, you'll see it because I published it knowing that we'd be talking about it for a minute today on the podcast. And you can see a somewhat distorted map of the world, but you can see most of the world. What's really interesting is that he was able to calculate the circumference of the planet to within about 10% of the accurate figure. And that's 900 years ago. I thought that was remarkable. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. So, so what? They just yeah. assumed everything else was ocean, where North and South America are and everything like that. Yeah, because they, they didn't know about them. Right, right. Obviously. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it is actually pretty accurate. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And yeah, it was a great moment. And Donna was very indulgent and allowed me to stand there drooling for far too long. Anyway. So, great holidays. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about privacy. 
privacy is a topic yeah. that comes up again and again around location. In the last couple weeks, you know, first of all, last year we had GDPR, which is a kind of a relevant to privacy in general in the digital space. But but we've had a couple news reports and things that have raised the topic around location-based privacy, and it's a topic that comes up continually in in various presentations at GeoMob. So thought that might be a good topic. Great. Okay. So did you see the BBC Panorama? program about Amazon? I did not, but give us a very brief overview. Okay. Well, it was shock, horror. Can you imagine how much information Amazon collects about you during the time that you're browsing the site and when you're making purchases? You know, and I mean, it was like, for guys like you and me, it was sort of, well, we knew that. Well, you know, what are you getting excited about? But I think for the broader public who just aren't conscious of these things, it was absolutely horrifying the extent of the data that Amazon have collected about you. And the fact that they've been doing this for 10, 15 years now means they've built up the most incredible database on every individual who uses the Amazon website. I, obviously, Amazon's not unique there. I mean, I think all, all the big players are doing this. And, you know, as anyone who runs a website knows, it's easy to log things. And when users take different actions and you, you do it in a kind of well-intended way, like, you know, show me how many people click on this button and things like that. But, but then... The issue is that individual piece of information is, of course, you know, trivial or meaningless. But, yeah, if you can do it over a long period of time and build up a profile of the person and, and then combine that with off-world, offline things like, you know, physically where they are based on where their phone is, of course, you can each little piece of the jigsaw puzzle can come together to create quite an accurate picture. Yeah. And person. there's one thing you said, which was... Almost everybody who runs a website is logging loads of stuff to try and improve the service and all of that. And that's true. But what came out in this Panorama program, and you, know, you have to take it with a slight pinch of salt because the people who they're interviewing tend to be people who've left Amazon and possibly have a grudge or an axe to grind. But what they were suggesting was that for over a decade now, it has been a conscious objective in, at Amazon to gather data about the users for its own sake, not just mm. for the operation of the website. And that, you know, at the highest levels, they've been doing this for a very long time and knowing that they're doing it. And yeah, I don't well, know quite whether it's a big deal or not, you know, I mean... But as you said, the more bits of that jigsaw, you know, as you add another piece and another piece, the picture suddenly becomes clearer and clearer. Yeah, well, I think this is what leads to then the eventual backlash in the in the popular opinion, which then, be it Amazon or Facebook or whomever, um, which then prompts policymakers to do things like, for example, GDPR, which, you know, all of this is quite new. The, is, as a society, we have to learn how to grapple with all this. So, you know, should a company be able to create that kind of profile about me? Should the government, you know, legislate to prevent that? You know, obviously, then you get into the other issues of like, if I'm should should the company in country A be able to create a profile about people in country B? And, you know, who, so... It's complex. I think this will be a topic that yeah. we'll be grappling with for as a society for the generation to come. But I think it's particularly with location, obviously that puts a whole another spin on things because um, you can really create quite 
hyper precise profiles of people. And then when you combine that with other data sets, yeah, you can learn a lot about someone. And there, there's an whole industry, of course, of these kind of data brokers and where you can buy all kinds of data sets. And it, it does. And I think location may be different. I'm not sure about this, but I'm just, I just feel that most of the data that you collect on an Amazon website or on is about you. The data that you collect on Facebook is about you and your friends, isn't it? Which is slightly different. It's who you know and who you're talking to. But when you add location data in, there's a whole new level to that. You know, I mean, in a, well, in a conspiracy then, then, sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, this is the whole issue around something like Google, right? Is yeah. that if you, you know, you can choose not to use Google services, but almost every single site you go to has Google Analytics, has, mm. you know, you're using an Android phone, you're surfing via Chrome. I mean, the, there's really nowhere left to hide. And you can understand why, you know, A, try to seek technical solutions, be it, you know, ad blockers and, and browsers that add all kinds of privacy features, but also, you know, really try to try to opt out in whatever way and also push political solutions like GDPR. So actually, um, this, might, this might be a point where I can talk a little bit about our approach, you know, at OpenCage, where one of our key sales arguments is that we are not Google. And that really resonates with some customers. They don't mm. want to be, they don't want to give their data to Google, you know, whether it, you can have a whole discussion whether that makes sense or doesn't make sense. But the reality is there is a segment of the market that is very against sharing more data with Google. Yeah. And actually, as a result, we, we for example, do not use Google Analytics on our website. And right. Also on, on, the, on the Geomob website, there's no Google Analytics. We use a company called Fathom which is very privacy focused. So first of all, just by virtue of not being Google, I think that's probably a good thing. But second of all, this company, it's a it's a small startup and they they are very focused on privacy and emphasize the privacy features and and we switched uh, over I think like 2 years ago because while Google Analytics is a great tool, we can't present ourselves as being like don't share your data with Google when we have Google Analytics on our site. Right. Yeah, so, I get you. So, I have to tell you that if you go on the Mapri website, I'm afraid we are using Google Analytics just because it's so damn simple. Well, it's simple to install, but you know what? Another key motivator for me to switch was it's very, very easy to put Google Analytics on your website. Drawing insights from Google Analytics gets, I, at the last few times I looked at it, they make it more and more complicated. You know, there's so many submenus and so many different things. And, and it makes sense because they are drawing on so many different data sources and exactly, you know, trying to create profiles of people of like, you know, people who came from, they were watching a video on YouTube or, and then they came to your site. And one of the big appeals for me of Fathom is that the product itself was just dead simple. And I get the basic information of like how many people came to my site, what countries were they in, but I don't get all the other crap. I mean, Google Analytics is just always trying to sell you Google AdWords and, you know, you yeah. should install more You're tracking. Right. In, in many ways, I think, be it with analytics or with AdWords, I think Google's biggest competition is themselves in that they cannot resist the urge to make their own products more complicated. So, so I'm going to give a shout out now since we're talking about this. For anyone using a WordPress site, which I am, there's a plugin called Jetpack. And Jetpack does loads of neat things in helping you to administer your, your WordPress site. 
but one of those is it gives you really good simple analytics and since i installed it i haven't uninstalled google's tracking but i'm not using it it's still sitting there in case i want it but i'm using the jetpack stats because they're really simple and presented nicely and visible on my my mobile phone if i want to check how the site's going as well as going through the desktop so quick shout out for the people who make the jetpack add in for wordpress then i would advocate you should go the whole way man get rid of google analytics but obviously up to you Stephen. i, well, I get that you might want to be sure if, you know you might it, it, there's some value in having two sources so if one doesn't work for some reason you can check yeah exactly and also i've only been using jetpack for I don't know, a couple of months now. So I'm going to give it a little bit longer and see how it's working before I switch off the other side. Um, Anyway, going back to location privacy, because we wandered off there. I was thinking about the fact that if you're tracking people and you're tracking lots of people, you can start to see patterns of behavior, certainly in a society where freedom of association and political organizing may be forbidden or frowned upon. Actually seeing where you've got a group of people together is a way of understanding that they must be having some kind of a meeting. And, you know, I think uh, we sort of ignored this stuff for a long time because it was really cool to be able to track where people were and, you know, the endless possibilities for location-based advertising, you know, where a Starbucks voucher would pop up on your phone when you were walking close to one of their sites or something like that. And, you know, all that, where's my buddy stuff? And, And we just forgot that what was going on was we were sharing all of this data and we lost control of it, in my opinion. Well, I do agree with you that that statement is correct for the majority of the population. There are people who are, who didn't forget, um, and actually, at our next GeoMob in Munich, which will be at the end of March, March 26, mm-hmm. we have a speaker coming from, he was one of the creators of an open source project called OwnTracks, which mm-hmm. is a really cool project. And it's designed so that you can install it both on your own server and on, on your phone. And they have an integration with OpenCage. And they basically, you can track your coordinates and then upload them to your server. And that you can you know either use that for yourself or you can share it with people that you want to authorize to share it with. But the whole point is you control the entire data flow and there's no right. third party. You know, so and, and there is an active community around this of people who want the cool factor of saying, where was I? When was I there? You know, looking back historically, but they don't want to share all that data with, with anyone. So Have you ever wanted to look back and say, where was I? And follow well, those tracks and trails? Because I mean, I've tried those apps occasionally and I've never, ever really wanted to see the output. I actually use Foursquare still. I, I think I'm like <laughs> the, only, the only person, particularly in my neighborhood in Barcelona, you know, down on the beach where the tourists go, I can occasionally yeah. see that other people are using it. But like in my neighborhood, I'm the only person who uses it. And my use case a, it is kind of interesting. You know, I have some friends there, and it is kind of interesting to see, like, when and where my friends checked in. I, first of all, I don't check in every place I go. I do it only if it's a place I do want to remember. Or the one other use case is every time I go to the gym, I check in so that then I can look back and see, like, okay, last month, how many times did I go to the gym? Right. Which I know there, I obviously there are a hundred other apps I could use to do that, hmm. but um, <laughs> but I, you know, I learned the flow with Foursquare and it works fine. So, okay. Um, 
So, so to answer your question, yes, there are times. I mean, I, the other use case I have for Foursquare is, you know, if, like I said, I don't check in every single place I go, but if I go to a restaurant that I like and I don't want to forget it, I'll check in or, you know, so that way I can, I still have a list and it's, it's kind of a, it's not everywhere I go. It's only the places I really liked. And I find that useful. I do find that useful. Okay. Okay. So I was reading an article on the New York Times website came out just before Christmas and we'll drop the link into the into the show notes afterwards. And they talk about the headline was twelve million phones, one data set, zero privacy. And it goes on to talk about the number of apps that you've got installed on your phone which are sharing your location probably without you knowing it and how there are brokers who are gathering this data and combining this data and sharing this data. And it's a big, long feature article, well worth reading, somewhat sensational, but still thought-provoking. Yeah, we, you know, we've had some of these companies present at Geomob in London. I don't know if there's a company called Hook, H-U-K.io. There's also a company that I am a very minor investor in that's called Terragents. In these companies, I don't, I mean, of course, it's like any technology. It can be used for good or bad. So, like, I know I know the case with Terragents very well. They really could not care less about individuals. The, the data that they collect is fully anonymized on the device. And by the time they get it, you know, they've, they're built into an SDK, built into other apps. And, you know, it's much more about creating a general picture. So the specific use case with Terragents is then aggregating all that data and being able to sell that to mobile phone operators so that they can see right. where's the where's the network working well and where's it not, which you know, that's a completely legitimate use case in my opinion. And it has it really the last thing they, they want to do is violate anyone's privacy. So Okay, so I know. want to challenge that. Okay. I want to challenge that for a moment. They have the best of motives and they've got a valid business case and all of that. But you said the data is fully anonymized. Yes. Right. I would question that. Well, I think that you, is I, the big problem. We, we think that by deleting personal identifiers, phone identifiers, whatever, we have anonymized a data set, and yet we know that smart people are able to de-anonymize that data by combining it with other data. Yes, yeah, so I guess the issue there is how can you take steps so that it cannot, that it technically cannot be combined with other data? You know, I guess that's the... Uh... I don't think you can. Well, I can tell you what we do at OpenCage. So, so we do have customers who are very concerned about privacy, and we created an optional parameter that you can send that says, you know, under you know, OpenCage should not log this data, and 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 we obey that parameter. You know, obviously people right. people need to send us coordinates or whatever. First of all, we tell people please, you know, send us coordinates, but please do not send us any personal identifiers that go with that because frankly they just make our life harder in terms of geocoding but and then the query comes in we respond and in our log line we have no record of what the query was and in some ways it makes our life harder because then sometimes customers will say oh i searched for this and i didn't you know why didn't i find it and i'll be like look i can't i can't see what you actually search for because you're using these private privacy settings i i have no, technically no ability to see it um, okay and that certainly is 
sounds like it would be completely anonymous. But I think if you've got a device broadcasting, if you are going to somehow identify all of the location pings from that device as coming from one device, then it can't be, it's not completely anonymized. Yeah, I think there are steps you could take there, as you could say, for a short window of time, you could say, you know, for this hour, give it give it a time-based identifier, and you say, like, right. you know, and then that expires, and when that same device sends data an hour later, it has a different identifier. So I think there are steps you can take. You are right. correct. You know, all systems at some point are hackable or whatever, and fundamentally, we have to trust the word of the company and of course, that should be backed up with kind of legislation, right. you know, which like yeah. GDPR or things like that. But yeah, I mean, so, there's no simple solution. I also read this week, you're getting my reading list of the week, an article by our good friend Ed, Ed Pass, which he called The Ethics of Location Sharing. And I really commend this article to everybody because it's very thought provoking. There was an incident in Australia where uh, a backpacker went missing and nobody could find him. And uh, and the question that came up was that when they were searching for this backpacker was what was his phone saying? And right. the short summary is that his family had his passwords or something, and they they were able to connect to his mobile phone logs or whatever, and they were able to to follow his track and unfortunately it didn't res- it hasn't resulted in the in him being found and i think as we speak he's still missing but question that it prompted was should there be circumstances where the phone operator the operating system something should allow emergency services or somebody else to access the location data being emitted by your mobile device? Or are we going to just rely on parents or friends being able to hack it because they know your password? Well, yeah, I mean, the question I think society needs to solve. That was a well-written piece. I read it as well. And it does raise good questions. And there's the issue of what can we do technically? And then there's a question of what should we do as a society? Because the issue was this backpacker, I mean, he wasn't a child. He's an adult. So should his family have the right to get that data? Is that a violation of his privacy or not? Yeah, actually, we had a presentation, I think, last October here in Barcelona from a company called Custodio. And their entire service is kind of parental locking of phones and giving you the option to kind of control your children's phones, amongst other things, also things like location tracking. And we had a very, very good presentation there. And he talked about all the challenges of that, A, on the one hand, from a technical side, but much more from a from a social side of like, should the parent be able to see where their teenager is at all times? Or should you just have kind of gray zones where you say, you know, send me alert if the kid does not get to school at a, by a certain time, or, or if the kid leaves the neighborhood, or if the, you know, and I don't think there's a right answer. It's more, right. uh, you know, as individuals and as a society, we need to decide. I think we've got a big problem in the complexity of those kind of decisions and how you you set those things up. I mean, as far as I know, I've got location sharing on in some way on my phone. 
And I think we've got a family group and we share locations as a family. They're all, all my kids are adult now. Um, it's not creepy, I, and I, but I'm not sure what we're doing. And I can't remember when I last checked the settings and changed the settings. Well, and yeah, I'm that's... That's and I'm problem. pretty tech savvy, Ed. You know, I mean, for most people, they are operating on the default settings in the same way that most people, me included, have got to the stage where we're so pissed off with being bombarded with accepting cookies on every website that we go to that we just automatically accept the cookies without ever looking at what those cookies are doing. Um, right. And I think the same problem, you know, with location, you know, you get told this app will work better if you switch location sharing on. So you switch it on, then you forget that you've got it switched on. It's, I mean, I don't think providing more and more settings and more and more control for the user is necessarily helpful for anybody but the privacy obsessed and the very, very technical. Well, I completely agree with you. People don't grasp exactly what's happening and most people don't have the time and energy to figure it out and but I, I think this also opens a business opportunity for companies like custodio or actually i don't know if you saw but a couple weeks ago it was announced a fairly large fundraising of a company in the u.s called radar.io what they do is they help companies particularly for marketing do geofencing and mm -hmm. they you know they have all kinds of cool use cases where you could do that but it does open up privacy issues and you could, I saw in their fundraising, I've been tracking this company for a while, and they you can tell in their fundraising they're trying to move their positioning and how they announce it to be much more privacy-focused. And so I think the good news is through things like the BBC show you talked about or this New York Times article or GDPR, the introduction of GDPR, we're seeing more and more as a society people are realizing we need to grapple with these issues. That doesn't mean it's yeah. going to be simple and easy. I mean, I can tell you it affected us quite a bit, actually, because OpenCage... When we started, we were a UK company because, you know, originally I, I used to live in London and that was where we got started. And, you know, last year we moved the company to Germany because of GDPR. Because right. more and more of our customers, our EU customers, were saying, look, I'm, you know, GDPR is here. You're a UK company. Brexit is happening. Are we going to be able to send you our data anymore? We don't have clarity. And the thing is, with our, my existing customers, I could, of course, have a dialogue with them, but this coming up so much that I was like, well, how many customers are we going to lose who never even talk with us because they just say, oh, you're not in the EU, I can't send you my data. So yeah, I, I think entrepreneurs, companies are going to have to grapple with this issue of privacy more and more. It's going to become more important. I think probably we'll see some overreactions, I, but I think there's a big opportunity there for people who figure out, out of complexity, if you can create simplicity, in a way that people can understand and use and are happy with, that's a great opportunity. And I think the validator of that is the current advertising campaigns that Apple are running. I don't know whether you've seen them. No. Wait, what, are they, um, what are they looking at? They're running privacy-centric advertising campaigns at the moment. Okay. Um, I think particularly for the iPhone. You know, they're really bringing privacy as a major feature in the promotion of their products. And I think right. that's partly because they don't have an advertising-based model. They don't sell your data. They are in a place where they can set themselves apart from, the, from Google, Facebook, and Amazon because they only use your data 
in delivering services to you. They don't do anything right. else with it. Well, but they've made it a major feature in an advertising campaign, which is interesting. They obviously see privacy as a growing issue and one where they've got an edge. I think this will become the norm for companies more and more. In in Germany, which is another market obviously I'm very familiar with, it, it already is a major topic. In some cases, in my opinion, too extremely and too much of an overreaction. But but I think Apple is a company that's very well placed there. Like out of complexity, making simplicity. You know, remember when the the iPod came out, and before yeah. that, there have been tons of MP3 players with all kinds of different features, and it was it was complicated. Of like, how do I get the MP3s? Do I go to Napster or where do I get it? And then they just came out with a device with one button with simple yep. to use software and all of a sudden you could listen to your music mm. and it was in a legal way and you know the problem was solved so yeah i think that moment still needs to come on the uh, the privacy side and you know maybe we're still a long way away from that but i think smart entrepreneurs should should be thinking about this yeah but i think i'm going to differ from you there i think the big privacy concerns come with the big internet giants and they are going to have to take a lead, change their behavior, and embed privacy in a different way into their services. You know, I mean, theoretically, I think you can, you've got incredibly granular privacy settings within your Facebook account, if you've got one still. But for most people, it's impossible to work out what those settings are doing and what the exceptions are and and all of that. And I think the big tech companies, you talked about trust before, they're going to have to work very hard to regain our trust on what they're doing with our data because we can't be expected to understand all the data that they hold on us, how they've gathered it, what they do with it. We actually need them to take a lead. Yeah, the question is, will they have the foresight to do that themselves or will it be only at the prompting because of government legislation and things like that? So so I reckon we've been talking for too long because I seem to recall <laughs> somebody telling us that 30 minutes was a good time and we're at 35 minutes now. So uh, yeah, gonna... I don't think we're not going to solve privacy today, but um, no, but maybe but, we can get Ed Parsons to come on onto the podcast and chat to us about the Google perspective on some of this stuff. Yes, that would be very good. Let's, let's try to organize that for a future, future interview. Okay. Um, all right, let's wrap it up then. Thanks very much, Stephen. Okay. And uh, Thanks very big thank much, you to Ed. all of our listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.